Welcome to Echoes Down the Road, a podcast presented by the band West of House. My name is Eric, and we'll be talking about Holy Ghosted today in Episode 7. This song was written in the early summer of 2020, as cries of justice and civil unrest engulfed the nation. No punches are pulled as we talk about all the pieces that came together to create this powerful and heart-wrenching song. Welcome back to Echoes Down the Road, the West of House podcast from your friendly band, West of House. That's us. My name is Eric. And my name is Lance. This is Tommy. This is Kevin. And we are here to rock once again. This is episode seven. We will be talking about the song Holy Ghosted from our album Crescendo of Silence. If you're just joining us, well, you should probably start at the beginning. Uh, As you know. We're a band, West of House. We released an album, Crescendo of Silence, in September, and we're going track by track on this podcast, talking about the ins and outs, how they were recorded, what they mean, counting the words that Kevin will say during an episode. I think the over-under today is 18. Ooh, that's an easy bet. Yeah. Under for me on that. Under. (laughs) Tommy's taking the under. So, but before we get started... Hey, Eric, what you drinking there, buddy? Uh, today, I am drinking West Coast or Die from Institution Brewing. I think I had one of those in an earlier episode, and this is, as the name kind of gives away, a West Coast IPA. Probably my favorite style, hoppy, bitterness, stings the tongue, tastes like a pine cone, all that good stuff. What you got over there? Ooh, pine cone. Oh, man. <laughs> Don't get Tommy started on pine cones. Seriously, that's his favorite forest foliage. I'm drinking a Gosa from the brewery, which I picked up yesterday on a run to the brewery in Placentia, California for Eric and I. Guess it's aged with Syrah grapes and oak forders. At least that's what the can leads me to believe I'm drinking. Hey, Tommy, what you drinking over there? My usual iced tea. Yep, your huge. I'm hard like that. I'm hard like iced tea. You're more, you're more <laughs> uh, law and order iced tea. Then yeah, well, I'm not. Then '90s uh, gangster rap iced tea. Okay, whatever. He still, you know, gets the job done. Because <laughs> as you know, I just got back from the gym, so I can't, shouldn't, hit the alcohol right now. Then that's the perfect time. It's the best time to hit the alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you've burned all those calories. It's yeah. time to fuel oh, up. Put them all back Burr. in your body. Yeah, okay. I know Kevin's drinking something. Yeah, this is a watermelon four loco. <laughs> no, I'm joking. This is a, a Negroni. Uh, equal is parts it, gin, one of your uh, and one of your homemade sweet vermouth. Uh, yeah, of course, the ones you stick in the bottle and leave in the fridge for for a couple of weeks. I believe I did make a liter batch of this for your New Year's party before the world you, ended. You did it. It lasted a few days. Yeah, it's pretty strong. I wouldn't. I wouldn't sit all eat it or <laughs> drink it all in one sitting. So. No, I, I did not. Those those were good though. That I hadn't been a big Negroni fan before, but you changed my way of thinking on that. And I, and drink, I thank you. Drink enough of them, you know. Well, you drink enough of anything, and it'll start tasting good. Yeah. <laughs> even uh, even Mickey's Big Mouth. By mm. the way. Well, once again, Tommy, you've proven me wrong. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Kevin, what kind of gin are you drinking in that? Uh, this is Tinkeray 
because they had a big bottle at the Costco. Gotta love Costco. Nothing wrong with that. Mm-hmm. Hey, nothing wrong with uh, quantity over quality there. Hey, it's not bad. No judgment. No judgment. All right. You totally, you totally just did. No, that's uh, judging me. That, that, that's that's <laughs> gin snob. You, you're totally wrong there, Tommy. I said no judgment, so there was no judgment. No, drinking only makes things fun. <laughs> oh, it's probably the most fun, uh, which is why we're drinking right now. So, as we said, we're going to be talking about Holy Ghosted, uh, and we'd like to give you a chance to listen to it. Some people find that that helps before we start talking about it. So if you got the CD handy, or if you're on Spotify or Apple Music or any other streaming service, why don't you give that a play right now? All right. Hopefully you enjoyed that, had a chance to go through the song. Uh, If you listen to it and you've heard the rest of our stuff, you probably realize quite quickly that it's the most unique song on the album. Uh, at the very least, a hard left turn stylistically. Uh, what do you guys think? Yeah, it definitely pushed me in terms of trying to do a song that has some of these faux sounds that's not just pure rock and roll instruments. We got some programmed pieces, and you know, it just it was fun to be a part of because I've never done a song like this in terms of its sound. Um, but yeah, it, it kind of was, the first time I heard it, it was like, whoa, Eric, where are you taking us on this? Yep, that was uh, my first time ever trying to program a drum part for real. I mean, I've messed around with it, but it's never made the light of day. And uh, this one did. So it was really cool. Um, it was funny because I <laughs> I didn't really know what the song was about or how heavy it was and i was coming up with some pretty techno fun circusy type beats and eric's like no that's not where we're going with this one maybe next time oh well <laughs> take this out and take that out and take this out that's not gonna fit well but i didn't know thanks to the magic of you know hard drives uh, i believe when we get to the to the drum section we might be sharing some of those outtakes uh, with the oh, listening audience. Cool. There you go. <laughs> so you could hear the, could uh, like a the, the circus version <laughs> of Holy Ghosted that could have been. With the 2-3 clave in the super dark part. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, uh, you know, it's, it's an encouragement to actually two- listen to the lyrics before you start putting in, I don't know what you said, baklava or whatever percussion instruments. 2-3 <laughs> <laughs> clave. It was actually a two feet, two three clave on an anvil sound, banging it on an anvil. That was the sound. Well, that's probably would have worked for a Roadrunner cartoon, right? Yeah, didn't work for this. So, <laughs> so this demo, it was originally called Benzo Haze. We always have some strange name uh, for our demos before they turn into the actual songs. And the funny thing about this, I think maybe even more so than Chasing After Memories, the demo is almost completely the final. Uh, The guitars ended up being the final, the programming, the original programming I did before Tommy added a few more things. That ended up being the final, even the first verse that I did for a scratch track uh, the night I wrote it. That's the actual final. I didn't change it at all. It had, I don't know, I was 
had a cold or some allergies and it had kind of a gravelly sound to it. And after listening to it, it was like, you know what? That kind of captures what I'm saying. You Sometimes you need a little gravel or, or cigar mouth you know, to make a song come across the way that, that you want it to. So I'll play a little bit of that demo right now, and you can kind of hear how close that is to the final version. So here you go. So as you can hear, uh, pretty damn close, you know, to what ended up being the final product. Obviously, the mix wizard Bobby Phillips added his magic, uh, but we weren't far off. Uh, Kevin, I think you were next, adding your contribution to the song. Uh, what'd you do there? Uh, yeah, basically just followed the uh, progression, played um, played with some synthesizer sounds with uh, Serum in Ableton and added a quarter note sidechain. Uh, I thought it would sound cool with the with the kicks, kind of four on the floor uh, type deal there. Thanks to um, Daft Punk for the inspiration. It was definitely a... Uh, what am I trying to say? It It makes the song. I mean, I say that a lot about your parts, but it kind of had that throbbing to it a throbbing synth sound it, it took it a little further into nine inch nails ter- territory and it, yep. it was a good pickup uh there's not a lot of extra stuff on here you had it's just one synth track yep. uh the guitar track is just one track uh well, well let's play play around with those a little so under me right now you're going to hear the synth track that kevin played and you can kind of hear it's it's very driving. And, and uh, I have uh, Nine Inch Nails was a big inspiration on this track as well. Yeah, it's got, I mean, you can hear, hopefully you can hear the throbbing so you don't just think I'm crazy. And it's just, it drives that whole song. It's It's got this tension to it that goes along with the lyrics. And now uh, let's play the, just that single guitar part that I'm doing. And... Okay, so like you can hear right there, it's it's a very simple part. Uh, just a little bit of delay. I think I'm kind of writing on the on the D string. I don't have my charts in front of me, uh, but there's some open work and just some just a little riff going on with a little bit of delay, and then those big hits, you know, for the chorus, which are big driving C's and D's, and those two things together in that programming. I mean, man, you, you do that. And you've got a hell of a song right now. So we need some more parts, obviously. And I think that was, uh, that might have been Lance. Yeah, I, I thought I actually went second. I mean, I know Tommy was last, but I, I thought Kevin came later into the process. So, but do you remember if that's the case? I don't know. I, I, I think I went to Kevin first. Uh, either way, it worked out. It did. So, so we can pretend you went third. 
yeah, why, well, let's, let's pretend. Um, yeah, for, for me, I think, again, this song being such a, a kind of a departure of a normal rock song that I'm used to, I, I felt like I needed to start off in the verses with a kind of a light driving feel. Um, it, it definitely, from the bass perspective, had to complement the, the complexity and the vibe that you had already laid down with your guitar tracks and evidently Kevin's guitar tracks and synth. Um, for me, you know, I had a question about the bangs. It sounded like a trash can was hitting, like, you know, a la Oscar the Grouch. Um, but again, even in that part, I kind of have some light driving sections. The chorus kind of allowed me to be more of a complimentary line with what was going on. It gave me that freedom for some walking bass lines that allowed to link the sections between the verse and the chorus. But uh, big picture for me, I just knew I could not be a distraction. It had to be very complimentary in its feels. Um, but yeah, it's it's just kind of a unique song, and I wanted to make sure that it wasn't about the bass. It was me just laying down a foundation for everyone else. No, they were good. I mean, it's one of those things where, you know, some songs we give you a lot to do, and some songs we just need you to be the street that we can drive on. And this was a definite driving song, but it's it's such an overlooked skill to be able to hold something down with simplicity. I think uh, it, it's funny, and maybe you guys can, can weigh in, maybe you agree, maybe you don't, but I think the longer you're a mu- musician and the longer you practice your craft, the less you do when you play. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Yeah, I think that lets yeah, I totally agree. the parts that are in the song actually stand out more in that case, cause since there is less to to think about less layers for sure. It, it seems like new musicians, especially drummers from what I've seen, want to show off all their, all their fills and everything in every song. And, you know, if you, if you, you know, blow everything in the first song, then you have nothing to give to the rest of the project. So, uh, I totally agree. And I think actually Eric said one time that, uh, 95% of lead guitar is rhythm guitar. And I didn't really consider that until that. And it's like, oh, wow, that makes a lot of sense. That is one of my statements. So, wow, I'm surprised yeah, you right. remember that. It's probably from like 20 years yeah. ago. Very I'm wise. I've been a guitar player, but... Uh, uh, <laughs> I probably just said yeah, so, it because I'm no good at leads. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm, but I'm, I'm pretty good at rhythm. <laughs> uh, but yeah, you're right. I think it's uh, it's... It's more about what not to play, the more skilled you get in your craft. So speaking of skilled, why don't you uh, continue on the highway there, Tommy, and, and tell us all that you did in this song because, you know, it, it was a little different. Yeah, well, I did a lot in this song, um, but a lot didn't make it because I was not quite on the same page. Um, I took some inspiration from Erasure. Uh, That's one of my favorite bands, believe it or not, as a rocker. And the programming from Erasure doesn't sound programmed, and that's what I like about it. Um, Vincent Clark is so good at it, the drum parts and everything. And so I was trying to add color 
<laughs> and this is a dark song, so there's not supposed to be any color. But I was trying to add color anyhow. And then um, on top of what you put down, Eric, I was layering different sounds to beef up the snare sound, including adding some low end. So even so, the snare would have some punch and some some kind of explosion, I guess. So I didn't um, add too much, but I did layer a bunch of sounds and then added the bass drop at the end, which was kind of cool. Yeah, I'm looking at the folder that you sent. We've got what do we got here? Looks like uh, twelve files you sent had, with with yeah. such <laughs> names as Boom, Boom Two, Glitch. Low bump, mute me, don't know what that was, ping, plink, shaker, shot, snare two, snare three, and thump. Yeah, they make total sense. I don't know what the problem is. <laughs> so, that, that's what I, I remember getting those files in the dead of the night. And I'm like, what? What is Yeah, you don't want to read too much into that. You just want to listen to it. But, but like, yeah, the, the glitch sound was a glitch, like you would expect, but that was layered in with the snare drum to give it just a little more flavor. So maybe it sounded something like this. Would you say, uh, so there, there was your glitch. Let's see what else we got here. Uh, let, let's hear a little ping. Okay, so so there's your ping. Oh, we can't leave out plink. So let, let's play some plink. That that's a good one. Uh, but the one that Lance referred to, his Oscar the Grouse trash cans. That's the one that did make it, and it's a badass part of the song. That's that big shot. And that's the shot. Was it shot or explosion? No, there's no explosion in this folder. <laughs> oh, I thought there was one. No, of them was it's not allowed. Yeah, I shot. So there's shot here. Let let's give a listen to, to shot. Okay, and you can hear how, how that part uh, is so integral to the song, because when it comes, it's, it's visceral. Just that one little thing. That's another thing about the beauty of minimalism. You know, we just needed one every now and then to kind of drive that point home of where the song is going lyrically. So even though you got 12 files and we used, I don't know, three, two or three? Three or four. Three or four, you know, maybe the fourth one's muted and you don't know about it. I don't know. Could have happened. <laughs> but, but that's what worked. That's what fit the song, and it fit really well. And those few added to it. Uh, with all our songs, we all have tracks. Uh, well, except for Lance, who just sends one. That's but right, the rest baby. Of us, especially, you know, we have tracks that, that we don't use. Uh, I'll have different vocal lines. Uh, you'll hear one when we get to Fallen. I did a high harmony on the demo that is nowhere to be found on the track. Uh, we talked about it with, uh, oh, what song did we talk about it? With, with the synth. Was it yesterday's, Kevin? I think it was. The one where, yeah, the organ. Yeah, it yeah, didn't too much. It, well, it was, yeah, it, was, it wasn't too much. I think it was a different tone. Yeah. You know, there's, there's something that will, you know, he'll turn it in and it'll be good, but it just won't fit. Uh, most of my tracks don't see the light of day. So I may put down 25, 30 tracks on a song, but then I'll have another 10 or 15 uh, for each song that I end up not using and killing because it doesn't fit the song. Or Kevin and Dave will turn in something later that will be far better than something I did, which is usually the case. And, well, my guitars may go mute. 
you know, they were great for the demo. They inspired, you know, these guys who are much better players than I am to do something. And I think that's just part about being a band. You, you cannot have an ego in, in a five-person band and expect to make any music of worth. If everyone's fighting so hard, well, that's my part. That's got to get played. That's got to get turned up. If there's any of that, the, the band is dead on arrival. I think that's one of the great things about West of House is we don't have any of that. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. It's our self-esteem isn't rooted in our tracks or in something we write. You know, so if it has to die, you know, it dies to, to paraphrase Yvonne Drago from Rocky Four. I will break you. <laughs> That's nice, Tommy. Um, great movie, by the way. Yeah, Eric, you bring up a good point about West of House, and part of it probably goes back to us, most of us being friends for so long. And we just have a good mix of personalities. I, I remember the first time I laid a few tracks down on this and sent you samples that I had done. You made comment like, hey, that's just too much or it's too busy. Or, hey, can you pull it back a little bit? You know, more thinking dynamics. And and I'm totally fine with that. I mean, especially a song like Benzo Hayes, a.k.a. Holy Ghosted. You know, it was more of trying to find the vision that you had for the song. And I'm happy to oblige. And, you know, you and I go back and forth with ideas about each other or about how the overall songs coming together from other member tracks. Overall, we're a pretty flexible group that gets along pretty well with each other. Well, and not to, you know, I'm probably going to throw us all under the bus. We still have good head-buddy moments. You know, we talked about those uh, in the Denmark episode, and, and those are necessary too. I mean, that, that natural conflict of you know, fighting out the song as well. Well, it's kind of a, kind of a fine line, isn't it? Between, you know, you have to put your ego aside to write a successful song. But in some ways, you also have to battle it out to have a successful song too. And it doesn't come with, you know, malicious fighting or anything like that. You know, there's no toxicity uh, in this band whatsoever. But we'll have you know, a good verbal text altercation of just, you know, punching our views across to see what rises to the top, kind of iron sharpening iron, so to speak. Well, good thing we're punching our views from a distance. Our text threads can get a little spicy, but could you imagine if some of those conversations were in person with each other? Maybe we just punch each other then. (laughs) I'd like to fight you guys. (laughs) Of course. (laughs) I'd love to watch that, Kevin. So moving on to kind of Holy Ghosted as a whole, uh, there's a lot of intentionality on the song. We've talked about how how I'm very intentional in my songwriting uh, and the things I I put forth. But in this one, maybe more than the others, uh, everything I did was for a reason. Uh, Even starting out with that little intro where you kind of hear the vinyl cracking uh, before that, that electronica beat fades up. So that vinyl cracking was very intentional. This song was always going to be track six on the album. Uh, you know, we're hoping to still put out a vinyl of Crescendo Silence. It will come one day. And track six is going to be the start of side B. And it was always going to be the start of side B. Because my dream 
was that when you flip the record and you put that on and then you hear kind of that vinyl skipping that for a brief moment you may be really pissed that you got a, a bum copy of the album because it goes on for just a bit and you're like oh damn it i got one of the bad ones but then the song comes in so if you're if you're listening to the album if you know you're listening to this after the vinyl comes out it's on purpose your vinyl is fine we paid good money to to get good wax. You know, that vinyl wasn't a foregone conclusion, but it sure is now. Yeah, see, it, it's out there. We've put it out in the universe, and it, and it must get done. Uh, another thing about this song is it was a minute longer. I can recall, and Lance, you'll probably remember, uh, I sent the song to you, and I don't remember the entire text conversation, but I think I said, is this too long? And I sent you a short one, and a long one and a short one, with a whole verse and chorus taken out of it. And it was, I think it was pretty apparent right away that the original version version was too long. I do remember that text thread, now that you mention that. You were so excited about this new creation, and I enjoyed listening to it. But yeah, I think it just repeated those sections too much, too long, too often. I, I don't remember, but I do remember feeling like, hey, this would be great if it was just a little less than what we got down here on our tracks. Well, a song can definitely overstay its welcome. Uh, I, I get to listen to a lot of albums, you know, that track at the 50, 60 minute mark. The songs are six or seven minutes. And there's a place for that in Prague where, you know, something great is happening. Uh, but a lot of times you're just left exhausted because there's, there's too much going on. And I think Ghosted is great. I'll listen to the song and I'll be like, oh, I got I to gotta play it again. It was over too fast. And I would rather we have that problem. That's why the album only tracks it, I think, 43 minutes. Because I want people to be like, I went through that fast. I'm going to listen to it again. You know, I've, I've mentioned before, I don't remember if it was in an episode or just in, in person with you guys, but uh, I took a lot of inspiration from the length of Van Halen albums, the early Van Halen albums. They all tracked it like 35 minutes, and you heard 10 great songs, and you were done. And what you did was you played it again. You know, rather than hear an album that's 16 songs in an hour and five minutes, and you just want to be like, oh, I need a nap now. Exactly. It was too much. Yeah, I was just having this conversation with a friend at work about, you know, albums nowadays really don't exist. All of your top artists, I'll say young artists, and the, you know, the, and the kids follow them, be it millennials or not, but they, they're all singles. There, there isn't an album like when we were kids and we would go get that full album or or most of us, we'd go through the UCDs, and most of us would listen to it from beginning to end repeatedly. And, you know, the songs ended up becoming connected one after the other. And nowadays, when I listen to the radio of an album I owned, and I'm waiting for that next song to come up, and it's Super Tramp or something, I'm a little disappointed for a couple reasons. <laughs> it wasn't this single phenomenon that I will call it nowadays. Yeah, it it's interesting you bring that up. I, I read an article uh, a couple days ago. They were talking to people about the album experience. I mean, obviously, we're a bit older. We're not in the 18 to 25-year-old demographic anymore. 
but I mean, I grew up and my music sensibilities are even older than I am, you know, and especially in early 70s stuff where you want the album to be, to be an experience. You put it on, you listen from start to finish, and you take it all in. Uh, in this article, it said that out of 18 to 25-year-olds, uh, a quarter of those, 25%, have never listened to an album from start to finish. That is not surprising at all. And that was, you know, it's definitely, there's a single culture. And, you know, I get it. I'm not here to bemoan anyone's way of listening to music. If you're listening to music, you're already doing something great because not enough people do. But it kind of, well, one, it, it taught me about the importance of singles, which I don't think about enough. But also it was just really weird to me because like with Crescendo of Silence, you know, we had meetings about track order and where everything was going to go and who, what was going to be in spot four or spot six. And there's this overarching theme there. It's not a concept album in any way, shape, or form. But there is an overarching theme uh, that kind of goes from yesterday's to Voyeuristic Symphony. You know, it's meant to be listened to as, as a complete work, so to speak. Absolutely. And it's something I'm proud to be making with all of you guys. Because a lot of the classic albums that I look back on, like Black Sabbath, Paranoid. The entire album is in E minor, and it's literally this flowing, beautiful, perfect piece of art, even though it's broken up in, in some songs. Funny little fact is that a few of the songs on that album were separate songs that then became like a double song in one, just because they flowed so well together. So I hear what you're saying there, brother. Uh, you know, you talked about song length earlier, and growing up a Rush fan, I'm obviously into 10-minute songs, and it doesn't really faze me, but I was also a big Billy Joel fan. And one of the lyrics in The Entertainer is, it was a beautiful song, but it ran too long. If you got to have a hit, you got to make it fit. So they cut it down to 305. So, you know, that just, when I got into playing music more professionally, that kind of came back like, oh, wow, this song's too long. We need to make it shorter. We need to cut it down. And that's what you did to this, and it's a hit. Yeah, it, <laughs> it, it worked. I mean, it was a far cry from our God Complex days, Tom, where, I mean, I don't think we had a song under five minutes. And then especially, no. you know, if I'm writing a ballad and I decide, hey, I'm going to put eight verses in here and no discernible chorus. Well, it's fun for me, maybe, but to anyone listening at home, they're like, oh, my God, I'm... I'm moving on to the proclaimers. This is so, this is yeah. horrible. <laughs> it went from being a song to a hymn, and then it's like, okay, yeah, it's... we're just gonna do verses one, three, and five today. <laughs> and then, you know, uh... I never, I never understood that in my my uh, early uh, formal church going days, where they'd pick out a hymn, you know, of which there were like six, seven verses. But you know, sometimes you never did like verse four. You know, it was always one, three, and seven. You know, they never did a song and be like, you know, let's do the whole song. It's like the whole album experience argument. Does the song, do you admit that the song has verses that suck and shouldn't be sung? It's too damn long. You know? You know, the rent is too damn high guy. Well, the song is too damn long. (laughs) Every every hymn in existence. Every every hymn. Let's do all 19 (laughs) verses of Just As I Am. But, you know, the nice thing is they're only 30 seconds long, so... Right. I think long songs have a, each hymn, a place or each verse. 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's fun for the band. Like, if you're playing live, obviously you'll want to keep, you know, jamming on or vamping on, on what you're feeling. But, you know, as well, you know, an audience that's... member, it's, like, not exactly what they want. Yeah, that's, uh, I mean, you raise a good point. Because songs definitely take on a different life when you play them live. And you definitely have to read a crowd if a crowd's into it. You can spend uh, you know a little more time than usual taking extended improvisational sections of songs and and drawing them out, but yeah, you got to know where the crowd is because in in practice, you know, it's for us, uh, live or or recorded. It's it's for the listener, and I mean, all this is, you know, I feel like an a huge hypocrite because, uh, you know, I, I did finish up a solo album that is one song that is 34 minutes long. So, <laughs> so, it, like so may, maybe I'm, well, there's 10 movements, but yeah, the, it's one song that's 34 minutes long. So everything I said, just throw it out the window. Cause obviously I don't know what the hell I'm talking about. All right. Let's, uh, let's talk about vocals on this one. Uh, easy song. But it was an easy song to track, you know. Like I said, that that first verse, it it was the scratch track. It worked well. Uh, lots of layers in the chorus. Uh, lots of uh, falsetto and you know chest voice going on, and just weaving throughout these themes and harmonies. Uh, we put a really cool effect just on the line crescendo of silence. I wanted that to stand out, so I told Bobby to have some fun on it. He stuck some phaser on that. It kind of because that ended up being the album title. It kind of stood out. Uh, there's there's no guest vocals on this track. That's all you. No, there's there's no guest vocals. Uh, that's that's all me. No no. Well, what was the one review where they said they loved the female vocals in <laughs> yesterday's? Was was that yesterday's? That was or yesterday's. Fall they said with two. an excellent female backing vocal. Well, it and, was very lovely. Yeah, that was just me, man. It's talent. <laughs> I, I take it as a compliment because women sing far better than I do. Uh, you know, maybe it was about the timbre of the vocal, and that's uh, that's a compliment. If you thought tighten up the shorts and hit that high note. Nah, it's easy stuff, man. Falsetto's cake. But we should do uh we should do a whole podcast in falsetto falsetto. What do you think? Falsetto. Yeah, I, I we'll have you do that on one of our next songs, Tommy. I'm <laughs> I'm really interested to hear that. I will fa- Hey, I'll I'll go. I for will it. falsetto battle you to the ends of the earth. <laughs> you want to throw down I'll lose, I'll have fun. Eh? I'll have fun, but I'll lose. But you know, it's uh it, it's fun to do. I mean it's not the good thing, you know, when you rock like a rock high note. That that can be difficult because you know I if you've if any of you out there maybe like two of you have actually seen me on stage uh, when I get ready to do like a big rock high note I actually change my stance I go into like a sixty forty command stance and I put weight on, and I put weight on my back leg you know and I I tighten my muscle girdle because that's where the power of vocals comes from you're not singing from your throat if you do by God you're doing it wrong and stop. And you'll actually see me take a step back and it's kind of like a football block and you throw into that vocal. Falsetto is a whole different monster because it's coming from a different register uh, of the voice and you're using a different part of the vocal cords. And, you know, like Tommy could talk about Bandcamp for eight freaking minutes, I could probably go on the same diatribe 
you know, about, about the voice and, and all the intricacies and what a powerful instrument it is. And also the most moody. I mean, these guys, when they're playing, you know, they can change some stuff and be ready to play. You can play drums any day. You can play bass any day. You can't necessarily sing every day because you may wake up and your voice may not, you know, cooperate. We're in allergy season right now. And I'm having to cut some vocals for some songs, and it's freaking hard because <laughs> my head is just filled with with goo. You I know, get, half, I get half the times you get what? I get finger cramps. Yeah, you, know, you get finger cramps. You know, I, I'm not saying that your struggles aren't like mine. These are definite first world problems. But the voice is finicky. You know, it, it's hard. Even like doing a podcast, I may wake up one day and be like, you know what? I sound like a 50-year-old Judy Garland. I don't feel like doing the podcast today. But there's an audience out there for that, too. So, uh, where were we? We got digressed. Now I definitely feel like Tommy talking about Bandcamp. Uh, vocals. We did vocals. Uh, I do a guitar solo on this song. As you can tell, there's no skill to it, just wonderful melody. So that's how you know it's mine. No skill, lots of melody. Very Pink Floyd. I used Pink Floyd tones. I used... Oh, what did I play that on? Actually, yeah, I played on a Fender. I played on my Strat and love that solo. Love the solo on Holy Ghost. It worked out well. But diving into vocals now. Now, here's where this song gets... It, 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 it gets heavy. It, it comes up to the line of being pretentious, and I hope it's not, but damn, it's close. So there are three distinct voices. No, they're all mine, Kevin. It's all my sure. voice, but but there are three no distinct <laughs> there are three distinct voices singing in this song, uh, which is different. Usually in a song, I'm singing one character. The character may be me, you know, in like chasing after memories. That's obviously me singing to my bride, uh, or in a song like oh I don't know, uh, moving shadows. You know, the the protagonist could be anyone. You know, singing a song like that. But in Holy Ghosted, there's three. And that, that first verse, uh, especially punctuated with the I can't breathe part, can any of you guess who that might be, gentlemen? I don't want to cheat and give it away because I already know who it is. Well, I'm about to spoil it, so I'm giving you a chance to make it look like you know what, what I'm doing. Kevin? It wasn't are we going to go to Kevin? It, it wasn't about me. Oh, Kevin. Who's, who's the first voice there, Kevin? <laughs> <laughs> of course it wasn't about you I don't think that was the question well I think what all the Westies need to understand is the timing of when this song was written is pretty critical is it not Eric uh, you are correct okay so do you have record of that in our Google Drive of when the first tracks were laid down with Benzo Hayes uh, June looks like Around June 23rd was when I cut, I think, the original demo for Benzo Hayes. Benzo Hayes. The original demo had all the lyrics? Well, the, f- the first verse came with it. Ooh, interesting. So, so I, did, I sent you, there's a snippet that I played. You know, we talked about the demo. The demo was actually a snippet that I sent to the guys. Right. We did. So that means if I go back to the lyric, I can't breathe, you mentioned before, that was about the same time in the year when our country was so mad at each other and on fire practically. A lot of protesting had that phrase, I can't breathe, even in the NBA, if I remember. 
And so if I'm not mistaken, that would go all the way back to George Floyd. So correct. So yeah, Lance, uh, you know, George Floyd, that was May 25th of 2020. And less than a month later, you know, Benzo Hayes came into being uh, at the end of June. And you nailed it. That first voice is George Floyd. I'm not going to go over and read the lyrics. Uh, They're just a little bit too heavy for me to do that on this one. You guys can go back and check it out. But there's two voices there, or um, two verses. And on each of those verses, that is supposed to be the voice of George Floyd. And with no disrespect, obviously, uh, what happened there was a complete tragedy and wrong and murder, uh, in my opinion. And really kind of turned a corner for this country uh, with how we view uh, abuse of power. And, you know, it's, it's something I wanted to put into song. And, you know, I think something that, that can't be left unsaid is I'm white. And that's, you know, not always comfortable for someone who's white, someone who, this is not my experience. You know, this this is not my experience due to, uh, to being white, due, due to my privilege. Uh, I don't have to worry when I'm pulled over by the cops. Uh, I don't have to worry about many things that people of color worried about. And so putting this into a song, I wanted to do this in the most respectful way uh, possible, uh, while also acknowledging, and we'll talk about that in just a bit, that this is not my experience. I'm not trying to speak on it as an expert, but as, you know, what I see uh, from my viewpoint, which, you know, like I said, is a viewpoint that is elevated above people of color just based upon being white. Uh, We could argue all day long about critical race theory. Uh, We could argue all about uh, white privilege, if you think it exists, uh, I can, that's a different podcast. You know, feel free to email me and I will Season go into two. it all day long. You know, we can go round and round on that issue. But like I've said before, I, I've got the microphone on this song. So I get to say a few things and I want to use that pulpit responsibly, both socially and personally. So all that to say, verse one and two, those are the voices of George Floyd. Then we get into this falsetto layered chorus. Now, do any of you want to hazard a guess what voice that is? Well, before I guess, I would love to ask you if the fact that you sang it in falsetto had any significant meaning to the voice you were trying to portray. Uh, just to create, I, I mean, not, yeah, I mean, it's meant to sound different. The verses are. You know, they're very, very low, that they convey a certain attitude. Uh, the falsetto definitely sets it apart. I'm sure you could think metaphorically and maybe put something together there, given that I know who that voice is. Uh, so, yes and no. I guess I'll say maybe, Lance. Maybe. Well, the fact that it's falsetto is important because the way you layered your voice, it sounds like a choir to me. And by definition, falsetto is an unnatural voice. It's fake. It's hollow. Ooh, I I like that. No, now I'm tracking with you. I hadn't even thought of that, and that'll preach, man. That's that's good. Oh, I like that. Keep going. Educate us, sir. 
well, you give me way too much credit. But, you know, because the title, it's spiritual sounding, and we've got this choir sense to me and this falsetto, I went back to the title, right? The Holy Ghosted, the fact that it's past tense, which I've never heard that phraseology before of being past tense for the Holy Ghost, which, you know, is the Spirit of God. It's God's Spirit. For me personally, I look at it as the Spirit of Conviction. And if this spirit is past tense, that means this conviction's from the past, which means it's no longer present. And if the Holy Ghost isn't present, that's kind of a problem for those of us religious folk. And like many things in the church, humans muck it up. And often the conviction to do good, to do what's right, typically surrounding the need to share the love of God is lost and, and has been forgotten or, or somewhat so. I don't know. I'm curious how everyone else, you know, unpackages this one because this song feels like it has one of the strongest messages this album has to offer. Well, we can. Why not? You know, let's uh, let, let's pull them off. So, you know, tell me what you're thinking, man. Let's let's go down this road. People are listening, or they've just stopped listening at this point. But w- what the hell? Let let's let's forge. Maybe Kevin and Tommy will even weigh in as well. <laughs> no, I was gonna say. It it does boast the uh, the album title, so obviously it meant something big. That is true. Good insight, Kevin. I think he's <laughs> over eighteen words, Tommy. You've officially lost the over under. Yes. And I have except one. Except for uh, except for I edit this, so <laughs> maybe not. Uh, that's good point. Good point. <laughs> I mean, I I remember us having this conversation about this song in my backyard when he came to visit the uh the washington and i I still remember most of everything that happened we did drink a lot of whiskey that night but (laughs) But yeah uh, i think uh we did kind of we went song through song didn't we song by song and you were maybe the first to know some things that that these guys didn't know that's right and uh, yeah i kind of blacked in and out of our conversation but nice kevin um (laughs) no i remember this one (laughs) <laughs> I, I remember this one very vividly and and yeah no, I, I understand who it is and what you're trying to portray all right so so who is it kevin uh, who says yeah. uh no you're you're totally wrong it's you you're, no you're, get, you're getting you're getting ahead of yourself uh so the chorus the the line's very simple the line is and with open arms i'm waiting for my bride and you know if you have a a religious upbringing, like all four of us do. We were all raised in the church. Uh, the word bride means something different than just a marriage context. And so that second voice is the white evangelical church singing. Uh, so one of the issues uh, that I have, you know, and, and lest anyone, you know, think differently, uh, my religious belief, so to speak, uh, I am absolutely 100% uh, follower of, of Jesus. That's, that's no, what's the word I'm looking for? There's no doubt about that. But I am a huge uh, critic of church as business in America, especially the white evangelical church. Uh, that I think has gone very far away from 
what Jesus teaches us. Uh, in order to keep their followers, get money, uh, basically prostitute the gospel for their own gain. And we saw a lot of that uh, during the social unrest in this country uh, in the form of silence. So we had protests, we had people getting killed, we have the George Floyd incident. And the spotlight gets turned on the church, because if there's anyone that should respond to this, first and foremost, it should not be the government. It should be the church. And they blew it. They did not. Uh, some churches did. I'm not using this as a blanket statement, but by and large, the white evangelical church, the next Sunday after the George Floyd incident, they gave very broad sermons about racism is bad, uh, but we just need to pray and do things like that. And frankly, it, it's a bunch of BS. It's talk and no action. And that whole, and with open arms, I'm waiting for my bride, it's that the bride, uh, you know, when the belief that Jesus will come back, you know, and bring the world to, to himself, you know, they're looking heavenly and being so heavenly minded that they're absolutely of no earthly good. And so while we have, you know, this pain here on earth and this suffering and George Floyd crying out for his mother and crying out for his help, for help, uh, we have the church ignoring this and not acting. And so that second uh, voice there is the church. And in the second course goes on and, and it hits a little harder. It's, I'll admit, it's a scathing song. There's a, there's a lot of, I believe, righteous anger in this song. And that second chorus, I don't care what the people say, I don't care what they do. It's just that belief that you get into church, those walls separate you, you're an insular community. Uh, and again, I'm not painting everyone with this stroke, but by and large, we see this in this country, that the church has failed to become a force of social action and more so has become an exclusive club. Uh, and there's people that will disagree. I'm happy to fight with you offline. If you, if you want to email me, you can find me through Facebook. That's fine. Uh, but, you know, in this situation, there was just, there's so much there that should have been done, and it was met with silence. Uh, and that's, you know, the second verse when the George Floyd voice comes back, after being ignored by the church and just says, have I said too much? She, meaning the church, never showed up a deafening crescendo of silence. And that's where we get that title. That's why it's so important. At that silence spoke so loudly to me and to so many others and to, to communities of color and to the marginalized and the disenfranchised. And it might as well have been just a scream uh, in the face of the downtrodden, the lack of response. So that's the second voice. A lot said there. A little rant. Yeah, it's a good rant, Eric, and I'm glad you took us there because there were a lot of words you shared, but it's really the fact that there's a lot to unpackage there and, and with this song. You know, as I mentioned before, this is arguably our heaviest song on the album, and you bringing up the church and this bride and the struggles and the emotions that you read into what happened to George Floyd is pretty darn powerful. And it's kind of like a sermon you wrote in this song. Or lots of little mini ones, if you think about it, between what George Floyd went through, what 
what the church is going through and and then your personal twist to it towards the end in the bridge. You know, it, it kind of brings me to tears at times thinking about this in terms of what the church is, what it's supposed to be, and what it's supposed to become. I think many people, I included, I think a lot of friends of mine have been hurt and let down by the church um, for all the good things it does. You know, it brings people together for a good reason. And the church is important, right? I mean, if you look at the way Jesus is talking about this relationship, that he is the groom and the church is this bride, and, you know, you need a good relationship. And the key to become wed, (laughs) to become one, is to say yes. And the problem is the church fails often. And I think a lot of us need to not forget that it's made up of humans. I think my favorite line ever written about the church is the first-person perspective of C.S. Lewis, where in speaking in the words of God towards the church, that she's a whore and I love her anyways. And that sometimes brings me to tears. I think it, I think any, any kind of words that, that strike that emotion that, that bring you to tears, you know, kind of speaks, speaks for themselves. Agreed, Kevin. And, you know, the visual that you just laid out, Eric, about George Floyd's laying there, struggling, waiting for the church with open arms and to not have them come and be disappointed. You know, it doesn't matter what you believe about that day, if if you believe it's murder or if some people don't agree with that. It, it's almost not the point. But the idea that somebody is reaching out in such a intense moment, reaching for help, and nobody came. And Eric, to write words that then kind of transition and then talk about how the church has let down so many people for not upholding what they say they're all about, it's deeply distressing and is partly why I find myself in education as a way to give back to kids who might need to be rescued. It's just not the same thing, I realize, but it's something I've committed to. And so again, kudos to you, Eric, for writing such heavy and deep and meaningful lyrics that are so powerful. Well, that, that's good. I mean, Lance, that, uh, you know, I, I like the mention of like little sermons, and I think a good song is like that. You know, and the sermon, you know, it's not just to point at different people. And that brings us to the bridge, you know, that third voice. And, and that would have been the answer that Kevin gave. Uh, the third voice is me, me personally, individually. And, you know, I am the chorus as well. I was a big part of that machine uh, growing up. Uh, I, I am not anymore. And we'll talk about that probably in Echoes Down the Road. But, you know, the bridge, I'm sorry if I never told you that I was afraid to listen. If I had, then I would have to admit that we were wrong all this time. And that was, that bridge is my confession, uh, especially to communities of color and how I justified to myself writing this as a white person whose experience is far different. But just my confession 
that I have been a large part of this problem. Uh, maybe not maliciously. You know, I'm not out carrying tiki torches or anything like that, or part of the Proud Boys, or whatever those other jackasses are doing. But through silence, through inaction, I'm just as complicit. Because, you know, it's not like these are the first time, it's not the first time I've seen this, you know, in my life here on earth. I grew up, you know, part of this, especially being part of the church. You're growing up to be a Republican and to think a certain way. And then you find out it's all a bunch of bullshit. And then you realize, you know, that you're in action, your inability to speak up, your inability to point out and say to powers that be, this is wrong is just makes you just as much complicit as dudes carrying tiki torches. Now we can argue, you know, if the consequences of those two things are the same, they're not, they are different, but the end result is the same in that the issue doesn't get addressed. Uh, So, you know, it's my encouragement that we stop being people of silence, that we stop falling and lock, stock, and barrel with leaders speaking for us, whether they be in government or in the church or in schools or anywhere else, that we start thinking, you know, for ourselves and follow, you know, rule number one of, of my ethos, which, and I'll, I'll paraphrase, paraphrase the Bible, uh, don't be a dick. You know, we, we've had, I've had this discussion a hundred times with people, and you can really just whittle the words of Jesus down to don't be a dick. <laughs> Amen. You know, that's, it's what, it, I, am I, am I wrong? No, I mean, but the, what's the Latin that that came from? Uh, dickus. <laughs> no dickus. Okay, it sounds about right. <laughs> no donkus. It's, you know, the, the whole foundation of the golden rule, you know, the greatest commandment, that's found in almost every religion, the, the do unto others, yep. you know, stuff. It, it all comes down to not being a dick and not treating people poorly and not putting yourself above them. And that's all we see now. We see the rights of the individual. We see the elevation of the self. We see, I'm important. This affects me. So this is what matters. And screw anyone else, you know, that, that doesn't agree with that. We, uh, and again, going back, we, we see that in the church. We see it among rich, you know, upper class white people, of which I am a part of a straight, upper-class, white male Christian, I am, God, I'm the worst of the worst. It's like the ultimate. Ooh. It's the ultimate, well, it's probably a minority now, but it just needs to go away. The whole mindset that goes along with that. If there's one thing taught by Jesus, it is the denial of self. It is putting the needs of others above us. It's for me to say, well, you know what? That tax cut really helps me, but as a Christian, I need to vote against it because it's going to help other people. You know, it affects our voting. It affects what we teach our kids. You know, we have to get away from this idea that we are all that matters. Uh, this last election, which, you know, it, it's over now for us. I don't know when you're actually listening to this. But, I mean, that's how I vote now. I don't vote if something's going to affect me. I vote on how it's going to affect someone that doesn't have the same things that I do. And even though it may even hurt me, you know, it's as, as a Christian, as someone who's taught to deny myself for the betterment of others, you know, I have to vote for things that are not in my best interest sometimes. 
because that's going to lift up people who don't have what I have. And I think that's what's sorely missing uh, in, in our communities today. We have embraced this idea that the individual is to be worshipped and adored above uh, the community. And no, it's not a call for socialism or communism or any of that other BS. If you want to paint with those broad strokes, you can call me a liberal. I'm not. You can call me conservative. I'm not. I'm in the middle. I'm, like I said, I'm a follower of Jesus. That's what I base my thoughts and opinions and facts on. Well, and science, which goes along with it. Logic, reason, facts, and faith. It's all we need. So, again, and I know the guys have, I'm talking too long, so I'm going to give them a chance to jump in here and just kind of, you know, the conversation's taking a different route, but that's the point of a podcast. These are important things to discuss. You know, this is why we're in music, not just to share art, but to change the world in whatever way we can. So jump in, guys. Argue with me. Agree with me. I don't care. Let's just have a good conversation. Boo. <laughs> Typical Kevin avoiding the conversation. But no, it's a good point. I mean, Tommy, you've talked a little bit about it, but being out there, what do you think, Mr. Utah? <laughs> Utah. Is that my name now? Johnny Utah. Utah. Absolutely. Right. Johnny Utah. Uh, what am I starting? <laughs> what am I talking about? Your opinion about Eric's awesome bed of cerebral lyrics. I've just been kind of floating on Eric's uh words there and uh i don't know not not a lyricist you know this song doesn't affect me the same way as it does him apparently or not apparently obviously because uh i you know i don't express myself this way so it's hard for me to um i mean i don't disagree um so I've been just looking at the at the lyrics and and I didn't get half of what the song meant before tonight. So I'm still kind of like soaking in and and replaying what he said and what the song meant to him. It's not as straightforward as like uh, some of the other songs. <laughs> I wanted to bring up um, what Eric was talking about how people kind of are brought up or they grow up into the system and they they kind of don't there they fear like breaking away from the status quo or challenging the thoughts of what they're taught uh from an early age and i think some people take uh the you know trust in the lord and follow blindly kind of too literally and they they follow the the leaders that, that aren't really leading them towards christ but kind of a wave in a whole different direction. And even with the silence and complicity, it's, it's like, I don't know how I lost my train of thought. <laughs> you were doing good there. You were doing good. Yeah, man. Yeah. <laughs> you can do no, it. I, I, I can, I can speak from like personal experience, like growing up, in a Christian family, I was just taught to, you know, listen to Pastor Man and, and, you know, do as he says. And, you know, sometimes Pastor Man doesn't say the right things. And as, growing up, like, I've learned to think independently and take, you know, the Word of God into my own account and kind of not not cherry-pick, you know, things that I like from the Bible or things that I like from the Word into what my personal beliefs are, but take 
everything into account and think logically about why or why not that makes sense in the eyes of God. Good stuff. I I kind of want to. I I kind of want to call our song "Pastor Man" now. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I I like that. There's there's something really good there. It would have to be a total hard rock song. Absolutely, <laughs> that would definitely preach. Yeah, there are sermons to be to be had throughout the album, as we've learned tonight. Uh, heavy stuff, you know, and and this is good. This is what good art should do. It should make you think, you know, and. And we want to make you think. That's why we do what we do. And even, you know, like you hear tonight, you know, like, like Tommy didn't even know what some of this was about. And that's cool that we can kind of have that revelation here while we're recording. You know, that's good stuff. It's stuff to wrestle with. You know, and, and we're, now, don't get us wrong. 90% of the time, we're jackasses. And we're screwing around. But we also, every now and then, you get one of these conversations that comes out. <laughs> no, you talk crazy, man. <laughs> <laughs> so kind of moving on uh we did a lot there that went longer than i thought but I, I think it was good that it did uh we get to the end of the song i rock the pink floyd solo and then we have uh you know these voices that come up and there's actually two funny stories here lance has one so you can take it from here i'm actually gonna have one too. Oh, i guess we got three go yeah. for it well i'm an idiot because i literally can't hear words <laughs> And it's kind of been a problem of my life, I think, forever. I don't always listen, but, you know, I'm listening to that song and I just could not figure out what the heck you were talking about, Eric, or what you put on the end of there. And I think I remember texting you and I said, what the heck is that at the very end? I thought you had like spliced something in there and was playing it backwards and it was all cryptic and evil. Yeah, and once you told me that it was no justice, no peace, I realized, oh yeah, I just need to actually listen more carefully. Like my wife always tell me, would you just listen more carefully to me? It's great for your marriage there. Really great for your marriage. Exactly. And so initially I was thinking you had put in some lyrics in there backwards and were selling some cryptic message to our listeners, kind of like the Beatles and Strawberry Fields were... You play it backwards, it says Paul's dead, or Led Zeppelin even supposedly did it in uh, album four, and there were some satanic messages going on there. I just figured that was one of Eric's dreams. Secret satanic messages. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> to put that in one of your songs someday. So uh, figured the, uh, that was your dream. <laughs> the the cadence <laughs> the cadence of that chant kind of threw me off too, because they, they kind of like do it offbeat. So I didn't really understand what they were saying until uh, really listened to, to it, like with headphones on. And it's it's spliced, it's spliced into the beat to be a little offbeat. So okay. I had to I had to cut, you know, and put it like it's on the ands of of the beats if you want to get you know deep into it. Mm. So just to create a little tension, but it's all in rhythm too. So all on purpose, intentional. I was gonna say that uh, I didn't even know what was being said until tonight at the end. I thought you were doing some play off the end of I Am the Walrus by the Beatles, because that's what I, when I first heard it, it's like, oh, this sounds like the end of I Am the Walrus by the Beatles. Maybe he just kind of copied it or something like that. And so that was just good enough, apparently, because I never asked you about it. <laughs> <laughs> you and I always disappoint Eric regarding his lyrics. I know. <laughs> I remember, I don't, I don't remember what song it was, but I'm like, 
it was one of the other songs when we were recording. I said, yeah, when you say this, and I said two or three words, and he's like, I don't say that in the song. So <laughs> right then he probably knew that we have a hard time hearing the lyrics. So now I go back and I read the lyrics before yeah. I have a question about something that's lyrically based. Yeah, after 20 years, I'm just used to it at this point. I'm used to constant uh, disappointment. Guilty as charged. But, you know, at least you guys can play well. Sometimes. Uh, so my, uh, my daughter, she was, my wife listens to the CD in the car. She only has, I think, one CD, so she's forced to. She has to listen to Crescendo Silence nonstop. She knows it inside and out, which is really cool. But uh, my youngest daughter was in the car, and she's 12. And she's listening to it. She knows I record everything in my home studio. And she said, when did dad get all these kids in the garage to record this? <laughs> so she thought I brought in like an army of children Creepy. to chant no justice, no peace. It's actually taken from a real rally. Uh, it's, it's taken off YouTube. It's, there's probably some copyright infringement on it, but it worked. And you know what? I don't care. Not intended. Is it a recent rally? It was. Yeah, it, it definitely was. Was it from the actual George Floyd situation? No, it's, it's a recent one. And it just, you know, I watched it and it really resonated and it fit with what I was trying to say better than I could say it. So it ended up in Holy Ghosted. That is very cool. So all that said, you've heard a lot. Uh, why don't we listen to the track right now? So here you have it. Track six off Crescendo of Silence. Here's Holy Ghosted. If I have been, 
You know, Lance has mentioned before that the songs are like his children, but I think this is my favorite one. Uh, I love every song on Crescendo Silence, but there's something about this, both lyrically and the feel of the song. And we kind of went out of our comfort zone, incorporating synth and programming, and it turned out to be a really successful experiment. Uh, So successful that I think you're going to hear uh, similar things in the future. I'm writing right now for the second album, and it's incorporating stuff like this in some of the songs. And it's going to be cool. You know, it stretched us, and even lyrically too. Lyrically, it stretched me, and I think we'll, we're definitely going to still see heavy things like this because there will always be something for me to bitch about or for me to shine light upon. And we're going to do it because that's what we do. And I think at least we'll do it until we don't do it well anymore. Uh, The second we start to just phone it in, it's time for us all to go solo. And you'll get that, you know, baklava album from Tommy that he's been wanting to do. So tasty. Baklava. A tasty, flaky dessert. It's a double baklava drop. Pretty good. So So tasty. Delicious. It is crazy. It is good stuff. It's, It's witchcraft. It's like that. That's what I imagine. I mean, I know Turkish delight is a real thing, but when he eats Turkish delight and Lion the Witch in the Wardrobe, in my mind, it tastes like baklava. You are such uh, a nerd. I was thinking afternoon delight. Ooh. I, I don't think that's a food, dude. Oh. No, but always <laughs> enjoyable. No, with that attitude. <laughs> so, so next episode, uh, we will be talking about Turn of Phrase, another song where we incorporated some different elements uh, that we don't normally do and even embraced like a three-minute spoken word section, and there's a fun conversation uh, that goes along with that that we'll share with you. But in the meantime, we thank you for listening. Uh, we really, we don't take for granted that you're here and you're giving us, you know, an hour of your time. So you can hear us, if you want to, on Spotify, Apple Music. Uh, anywhere you stream music, you can find Crescendo of Silence. You can find us on Bandcamp at westofhouse.bandcamp.com. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter under the handle West of House Band. And you can search us up on YouTube where we've got our videos. And please subscribe. So once again, we can get our customized uh, URL there. And I don't have to read 400 letters, which I'm not going to do. We've already done that. 
But it has been a pleasure, <laughs> gentlemen. Th- this has been a good one. I feel good about this episode. Thank you all for uh, for, for weighing in there. Our pleasure. Yeah, yeah j- it was just good. nodding, Heavy. just nodding on Skype, Kevin does not help the listeners. <laughs> they they cannot see you. Classic. I I wish they could see Kevin's excitement right now. It is probably the most excited I've ever seen him in my life. They can. In their hearts. You can hear it in his voice. You can hear it in his voice. So uh, as we've said before, we are West of House. Thank you so much for joining us. And join us again on episode eight. See you soon. Welcome back to Echoes Down the Road, your friendly West of House podcast. As always, my name is Eric. My name is Lance. Hello, Tommy. <laughs> Where the heck did everyone else go? Are we all alone, Eric? Apparently. I, I, I wonder if anyone else could be out there. Uh, this is Tommy. I'm, I'm Kevin. <laughs> Tommy's here. Oh, what a garage oh. sale. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> all right. Take one. Take two. Take one. <laughs> yeah, let's try it again. So, so uh, Tommy, you're you're after Lance, like always. Okay, I'll be after and, Lance, and then Kevin, as normal. Yeah. I'm usually after Jim, but I guess it's Lance. All right, shut up. <laughs>